Welcome to Second Wind with Joyce Buford, a program for and about women. Joyce Buford is a certified coach who has a passion for helping women who need a second wind. Joyce is the creator of Uncover Your Hidden Genius, a program that will help you live a life of greater purpose, fulfillment, and ease. As a certified coach, she studied directly with her mentor, Jack Canfield, author of the Chicken Soup book series, where she served as an assistant to his training program. Through her study with many prestigious coaches and mentors, she has created a powerful program that has positively impacted hundreds of people. On today's program, Joyce and her guest will help you learn how to get your second wind. Now here's our host, Joyce Buford. Good morning. Welcome to the show. And if you are a single woman, are divorced or widowed, you are going to really identify with this show. It's going to be very informative. You're going to learn a lot. Because our guest today has written on this subject as well as many others. Um, But she says in this book that we will be highlighting today, 57 Steps to Paradise, she says more than 44% of all adults over 18 in the United States are single. Some never married, some divorced, and some widowed. Which I think is always interesting because we never are aware of how we are not in the minority. We think when we go through the transition of any of those, divorce or or death, we would absolutely swear that we're the only one in the world that's suffering through that transition. But no, the rest of the world is just like us. We're all interacting and and experiencing the sad sadnesses and also the joys. So let me tell you about our guest today, Patricia Lorenz. She is an internationally known, inspirational, art of living writer and speaker, and the author of 14 books, including her latest, which we will be sharing and talking about today, 57 Steps to Paradise, Finding Love, in midlife and beyond. So I'm right in there with you, Pat. I'm, I'm right in there. I know the subject <laughs> because I'm in midlife and beyond. So Pat is one of the top contributing writers in the country to the Chicken Soup for the Soul books with stories in nearly 60 of the sick Chicken Soup books. I love that because of my back experience with Jack and Canfield, who is the original author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul books. He has since sold that, but he has produced many, many books. And I'm so glad to know Patricia was in one. Or two or three or four or sixty. Sixty of them. She had over four hundred articles published in numerous magazines and newspapers, and is contributing writer for twenty-six daily guideposts books. Five dozen anthrop anthrologies. Did I do that right? Anth- <laughs> Anthologies, yes. <laughs> And an award-winning newspaper columnist. She is prolific when it comes to writing. Absolutely. Patricia lives in Largo, Florida, where she loves, after raising four children, her empty nest and the freedom of following her dream while she's still awake. I love the way you said that, while you're still awake. I love that, Patricia. Welcome. 
Thank you, my dear. This is such an exciting day for me. This is just a lot of fun, and and I'm so happy to finally meet you, even if it is on the telephone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I read your book, and it's just so revealing. It's so uh, down-to-earth. You don't pull any punches. You just kind of lay it out there. It was just fascinating. One, I appreciated your openness to share all these different experiences that you had with dating and with husbands and with interim boyfriends. Because I think when we are single, we go through some of the very same experiences. So it's it's great to see there's a book out there that just kind of talks about it. Well, you know, I have to tell you, I was absolutely shocked by how my life turned out because <laughs> I, I was raised in northern Illinois with two most wonderful parents, and I had one brother and one sister, and I, we were very happy. My dad built our home in 1947 after he came back from World War II, and mm-hmm. we had great friends and neighbors, and I just thought, well, I'm going to grow up, and I'm going to go to college, and I'm going to meet my Prince Charming after college, and I'm going to get married, and I'm going to have a house with a white picket fence, and I'm going to have two and a half children, which was the national average, and Mm -hmm. I'm going to live happily ever after. And I thought that's the way my life would be, but, you know, what choice didn't happen that way. (laughs) I know what happened. For me, I I, I took a turn, too. Here's the answer. I was standing in the wrong line when God passed out the husband hunting genes because I did not pick a great man like my father the first time. I got an abusive alcoholic. And the second time I married a man uh, 17 years older than me who was a good man, but, you know, there was such a generational difference. And we ended up divorced. He he married his girlfriend who was older than me. Usually they marry, you know, go for a younger woman, but he, mm-hmm. mine went for a, an older woman. He married her the day of our divorce, and then he died uh, two years later. So there mm-hmm. we had, I had three children with my first husband, one with my second. And so mm-hmm. now I'm raising four children and trying to date and get these kids through college and <laughs> on and on and on. And so you can see I was just really befuddled as to why my life turned out the way right. it did. But You know what? I've learned over the years that the more struggles we have, the more blessings we get from those struggles. And I'm here to tell you that, you know, struggles do so many things. I I do a whole talk on learning to love your struggles because they make us strong. Boy, Mm -hmm. four kids alone made me very strong. Oh, my goodness, yes. Our struggles make us more forgiving. They make us more compassionate. They make, they make us really very appreciative of our blessings, and mm. they make us more uh, a person of better character, I think, because, you know, if you don't go through struggles, you don't really develop that fine patina of, of good character. Right. And most importantly, and this is the one I love the most, struggles make you more interesting, and that's why <laughs> you like reading my book, because <laughs> they, we don't want to read about the perfect wife in the perfect house with the perfect kids. <laughs> We want to read about the person who screwed up. Yeah. That's me. Well, you had some some very interesting experiences. Oh, I'm sorry. Somebody wants me. Um, But when I read your book, I was just like, oh, no. How how did this happen to her? And how did this happen to her? Um, um, The man that was in protective service. um, Oh, yes. 
I mean, I was like, well, how how weird that that would happen. I mean, very uncanny. But before we go to that, I want to know how, where did you start writing? Because you are prolific. You have so much out there. Was that something you... They they say that 80% of all writers start writing because of the death of someone they love. And it's very true. And and magazines get all kinds of articles from people, and they refer to those stories as the dead grandma stories, and they all end up in the wastebasket because nobody really cares about your dead grandma like you do. (laughs) And so, but it's important to write it, write them out. You know, it's catharsis to write about your beloved Aunt Bernadine who, you know, raised you or whatever. And people want to need to get that out when someone they love dies. And it's a great way to start writing. And that's exactly what happened to me. My mother died at age 57 of Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. She was Mm. in the prime of her life and she was my best friend. We had just, you know, my children and I had just moved back to Illinois from St. Louis and we were just having the time of our lives. She was downhill skiing with my dad, and they were taking mm. ballroom dancing lessons. And mm. so all of a sudden she gets this horrible disease, and she dies 16 months later. So wow. I am just, you know, just mm. overcome with grief, and I mm-hmm. needed to get it out. And so I wrote a story called The Baggy Yellow Shirt, and it was not a, a typical dead grandma story. It was a, a story about a joke that my mother and I had played on each other for 17 years. We had mm-hmm yellow shirt in each other's homes back and forth for all those years and um, i'm sorry i'm sorry i thought i turned it off i guess i don't know how to turn this thing off you need to hide it under your pillow (laughs) (laughs) that's a good idea Uh, so anyway um we had gone back and forth with this baggy yellow shirt and it it you know, I had submitted it to Guidepost Magazine for the writing contest, and I won the contest that year in 1982. And then mm-hmm. it was published in many different magazines, and it was in Reader's Digest, and that was the one that Jack Canfield bought for his oh. second, book, uh-huh. a second helping of Chicken Soup for the Soul. And so that's how I started writing. And after that, I just started some writing tons of stuff and submitting them to newspapers and magazines. And, and I finally figured out that's what the gift that God had given me. You know, I can't do mm-hmm. much of anything. I can't do math. I can't balance my checkbook. I can't change the oil in my car. <laughs> I could go on. I could make you a list of 50 things I can't do. But I'm right. And that's, that's all I was given. It was a gift. Every one of us has been given a gift from God that we don't deserve. But we got it, and we better use it. And if you use it, it you, you're happy. You, you have a yeah. gift that you love. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you're using your gift. You know, it's just unbelievable the gifts you have been given. And you're using them, and that's mm-hmm. fabulous, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, the gift of gab when I was a little girl was not exactly what my mother wanted. She kept saying, be quiet, go sit in, go, go. <laughs> so now it's really paying off because I can let all that out. So it's awesome. <laughs> Women say 20,000 words a day, and men only say 7,000 words a day. And we women have to get them out, and that's why women need other women friends. And that's why I love talking to you, because we can both get them out. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, one one way or the other. Well, there's a part in your book now that I I really liked, and when it started talking about Internet dating. But you had some really interesting boyfriends that were before internet dating um and 
you wanted to, is there one that you particularly enjoyed? I mean, it was more more fun than the others. Well, the one you mentioned earlier, the relocated government witness, he he was mm-hmm. a hoot. And I met him, uh, I was living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at the time, and I, I met him at um, the University of um, Wisconsin at Milwaukee. They had a big singles event for a weekend one time, and they had a lot of classes. People could come. There were 2,000 people, single people, that came to these, this weekend event, and I was teaching a class on writing. And mm-hmm. after the class, this young man came up to me. Well, he was almost 50 at the time. And um, he he came up, and he was very interested in having finding a writer to help him write his book. And, of course, you know, most writers don't want to help other people write their books because we're too busy writing our own books. <laughs> yeah. But I was so intrigued with this guy, and he was very handsome, and I was very single, and I hadn't been dating anyone. And he in- invited me to have dinner with him at the big, you know, dinner for that 2,000 people that night, and, mm-hmm. and uh, then they had a dance, and I, we danced, and he started telling me that he had been, um, it, it, he was in the witness protection program, uh, and he had been, a, he wanted to be a member of the mafia when he was a young man, <laughs> but he, he couldn't be a maid member because he, he was um, only half Italian. And so he had committed some petty crimes for the mob during his mm-hmm. teenage years, and he ended up um, being involved in, in some pretty heavy-duty cases with with the mob, and to the point where the the um, federal marshals and the FBI wanted him to be a, a witness on, at a big trial at one of the top one of the heads of the big five families in new york and so mm-hmm. they gave him protection for for you know testifying at the trial now this all sounded like you know it could have been just a bunch of hoo-ha that right. he was giving me to impress me but <laughs> he mentioned that his story had been written up in life magazine and mm-hmm. um, trial and his picture was in there so i went to the uh, milwaukee airport that has a fabulous used bookstore huge oh. used bookstore and I looked through all their copies of Life magazine because he had told me the date that the mag- the story was in, and it was mm. in there. And it was a forty-three page article about him. It had his picture oh there and how he word. testified at this trial, and it was one of those trials where the the dead body washed up on the shore of the <laughs> Jersey Shore, and there was a concrete block attached to the guy's ankle. I mean, it was just so amazing, Joyce, you would not believe yeah. it. So I, here I am really intrigued with this guy, and I thought, okay, fine, I will write your story for you. So we agreed to meet every, I, I was a radio copywriter in Milwaukee at the time at WTMJ Radio, and um, I would get off work about 3 o'clock, and on Fridays, my kids were at football games and, you know, Uh cheerleading practice. And my youngest son was visiting his father for the weekend. And so I would... um have nothing to do really um there you know many many friday nights that i'd be free so we would go for dinner he would take me to dinner and then he would come to my house my oldest daughter was in college or she was in uh, yugoslavia at the time um as a foreign exchange student so her bedroom was open so i would Mm -hmm. let him spend the night in her bedroom Mm -hmm. and we would get up on saturday morning and write all day long we would write his book and Mm -hmm. it was fascinating it was like one of the best I bet. you could do on a date you know yeah <laughs> right fun. so to answer your question i'd say my relocate the government witness was probably my most uh, interesting and entertaining date of all time <laughs> well you know i mean i can just imagine that when this man started into that story you went uh-huh yeah <laughs> yeah, like right. oh, another story. 
Exactly. Uh, yeah, but then you did your research like any good writer. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know, one of the I just finished my first book, and oh, I'm did. really excited about it. Yes, it was like birthing a baby. You know, oh, for yeah, me. It is. Uh, What's the title? Uh, um. Effortless happiness, finding oh. finding your your unique self, so you'll ask for what you really want. Oh, that's perfect! I love the title. Mm-hmm. Thank happiness you. Is Thank a you. Huge thing mm-hmm. for all of us. We're always searching for that. Oh my God! Yeah. So when will is it out now? Uh, it'll be released in about a month. Yeah, just in time for Christmas. Perfect, perfect timing. So, but for me, writing is a little more, not as easy. It sounds like it flowed very easily to you. Or was it in the beginning? Well, it would probably be because you were actually talking about something you were very involved with, the pain of your mother's dying. But when you picked up something, have you always written with something that was really important to you? Is that a quality that really adds to the story? I mean, is that... Well, that's a really good question. I think most writers, I learned this, um, I think, at the the Guidepost Writing Contest. Uh, when, when you win that, they have a contest every other year in the even-numbered years, and they take you to New York um, for a week and put you in a mansion, and all the editors come out and teach you how to write for the magazine. And it was, you know, they mm. 15 winners every every time they have the contest. And one thing I learned, you know, at that um, that uh, week of, you mm. know, just being surrounded by amazing people, um, including Norman Vincent Peale and Sue Monk Kidd and Marjorie Holmes and uh, you oh know, my the editors goodness. there, was that um, you have to write about what you know. And you, mm-hmm. you, if you if you find yourself say at a party and you're t- so you've experienced something in your life mm-hmm. and you start mm-hmm. telling that story, you know, oh, it's an, you know it's an interesting story. You 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 met somebody on a ski slope or whatever, and you're telling this story and you find yourself telling it over and over and over to other people. That's mm-hmm. the kind of story you need to write because it's interesting mm-hmm. enough for you to share verbally than you need to mm-hmm. get written. Mm-hmm. So right. You hear yourself telling those stories over and over. That's the, that's how you start writing. And I guess most of my pieces have been because of you know I I, I think we need to live life and experience life. And my mm-hmm. I have a, a quote that I have lived by my entire life since my very first divorce, and that mm-hmm. is never say no to an opportunity unless it's illegal or immoral. And so mm-hmm. if you never ever say no. That means you have to say yes. You never have to make a decision. You know, if someone mm-hmm. says to you, for instance, this, I'm, I was sitting home one time feeling really sorry for myself because Mother's Day was just around the corner, mm-hmm. and none of my children mm-hmm. could come home for Mother's Day. They were all in college, spread all over mm-hmm. the country, and yeah. I was having a gigantic pity party and sitting there feeling really bad. And so my sister-in-law mm-hmm. in Louisville, Kentucky, writes to me and sends me an email, and she's, so how are you going to celebrate Mother's Day? <laughs> I wrote back to her. I said, well... I'm going to put on my rollerblades, and I'm going downtown Milwaukee, and I'm going to rollerblade around Lake Michigan, and I'm going to pretend that I'm an old spinster who never had any children. (laughs) Jab, jab. She says, oh, no, you're not. And I said, what do you mean? Oh, no, I'm not. She says, well, she says, you're going to get your button gear, and you're going to go to get on a bus and go to O'Hare Airport and meet me at O'Hare on Saturday, and we're going to fly to Japan. I'm like, oh, my goodness. (laughs) <laughs> my, my brother, her husband, is a pilot for UPS, 
And oh. she, she used to work for United, so she had these amazing friend passes where it's pennies on the dollar. You know, you could fly yes. by much easier back then. Oh. And she said, you meet me at 9 o'clock on, on uh, Saturday morning at O'Hare. And I said, well, you know, my philosophy is never say no to an opportunity. <laughs> If it's not illegal or immoral. Well, I had all kinds of things planned for the next week, you know, a book signing here and this and that and meetings mm-hmm. with my writer's group and what have you. And I said, well, if, if I'm going to walk the walk and talk the talk, I better do this. So I said, okay, I'll meet you there. Well, I canceled everything for the next week, and we went to Japan. We flew first class because they, they, they had empty seats in first class. I thought I had died and gone to heaven. I mean, well, I yeah. Poor single parent. I get in this plane and there's eight seats uh, or eight people in first class with 36 oh. seats in a whole room all to ourselves. They oh had my. nine flight attendants waiting on us, I think. And it was, <laughs> I thought for sure after the sixth course and the Godiva chocolates and the Ben and Jerry's ice cream sundaes and all, I thought for sure they were going to bring me a man to watch the movie with. <laughs> But it was so phenomenal. And so I learned from things like that by always saying yes to every opportunity that Mm -hmm. you can really have amazing adventures. And, of course, I wrote about that, you know, when I got home. The whole experience was just a a fun piece. And it was about the the story I wrote about that was about why you should never say no to an opportunity. Because obviously we don't know what's on the other side of these opportunities sometimes. And it could be a lot of hassle, and I could have said, well, I can't go. I have to go to this meeting on Tuesday, and (laughs) I can't do this, (laughs) and I can't because (laughs) blah, 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 blah. But we got to stop that. Right. you know that, Joyce, because Mm -hmm. you've written a book about happiness. You know what it takes to be happy, so say yes. Oh, yes. It's that, you know, when you have an opportunity and, and you have this little voice in your back of your head, because we all have it, it doesn't mean because you've done all the wonderful things you have that you don't have that voice. Now, it's probably a little quieter than it used to be. But even so, we always have the, well, you can't do it because of because of this, because of that, because of this. Just like you said, that whole week was full of responsibility and you sound like you're a pretty responsible woman so that was that was kind of difficult to say oh it was. no i'm going on this trip mm-hmm. yeah, especially at the last minute like that and you know i have another yeah. girlfriend down here who's single and she's a flight attendant for united she's 70 mm-hmm. years old and she's been flying for them for 46 years and oh, she's going Lord. to give me a pass and the, her dad uh, died years and years ago and she still has part of his ashes and she wants to he wanted part of his ashes to be sprinkled in the south pacific where he served during world war ii and oh. so she said to me the other day, she says, I, I want you to go with me to sprinkle those ashes. In the South Pacific. And I'm thinking, well, my dad was a fighter pilot in the South Pacific, and he's still alive and well, 97 years old in, in, in wow. Southern Illinois. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, heck yes, I'm going with you to the South Pacific, <laughs> even, even though, you know, it'll be affordable for me only because I'll get a friend pass from her on, on the airline. But it's, it's these opportunities that come along. You just you have to not even think about it. It That's true. Out of your life. I love that. When you say you're going to say yes to every opportunity, you don't even have to think about it. You just say yeah. yes. So what would you say to a young writer that's out there? Oh, young. It doesn't have to be young. Young in their years of writing. They can be 60, 70, and they've never written because they have this thing that I'm not good enough. I'm not 
um, I can't express myself, whatever it could be. How would you suggest they start? Well, sometimes, like I said before, if you find yourself telling your friends stories about things you've mm-hmm. experienced, it might be good for them to record themselves telling the story in the mirror or, mm. you know, tell it to a friend, invite a friend over right. for coffee or tea and just tell the story and, and have a tape recorder there. And then later they can just type up what they've written because mm. usually the way we talk is the way we should write. And if you mm. hear yourself talking um, to a friend and you can hear it on a tape recorder and type it exactly that way, because many people who start writing are very stilted and they, they have mm-hmm. to pontificate mm-hmm. and they think their sentences have to be really long. Right. And I think mm-hmm. you notice when you read my book, you know, I just really write the way I speak. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it makes it easier to read, for one thing. Mm-hmm. One way mm-hmm. to get started as a, a new newbie writer. But um, I do think it's a gift. And I think if you have, a lot of people simply don't have that ability. They have other gifts. Mm-hmm. But if you have the desire and you really want to put your life story down, do it. And, you know, many people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, start writing so that they can share their life story with their family. And maybe you're mm-hmm. self-publish a book, and maybe you're only going to publish 30 copies and right. distribute them to your family members and, and close friends. But that's good. That's good enough. You know, if, if you mm-hmm. have a story that you want to pass on and keep in, you know, in front of the generations of your family for years, that's, that's a good way to do it. So it doesn't that's, a wonder- to that's a wonderful gift to leave. Yeah, wonderful gift to leave to your family, I think. Uh, so many times we don't know the real life of our parents or a, ne- a favorite uncle. I think that's a wonderful thing. Also, I once uh, had a client that left her family recipes. She wanted this for her children, which I thought was a very thoughtful thing to do. But <clears throat> when um, when you were writing this book, you moved from face-to-face, to to talking, to internet dating, which seems to be the big scene these days where we kind of meet people because we don't want to hang out at the bars. So um, internet dating is a whole different world. And so when we come back from break, I'd like to explore that a little bit with my listeners. But you have in here 30 questions to ask men when you're dating. I thought that was wonderful. And we might pick a few of those. And then you also mentioned the zero factor, 37 things to avoid in a potential partner. (laughs) I loved every one of those. And I went, check, 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 check. (laughs) And then you ended it with the plus factors. Those things that are good things, things you really want in a partner. And you kind of describe your own marriage. And, and it, it that was really interesting because you, you showed flexibility. The young love is sort of different than older love. Oh, Eve. absolutely. <laughs> yes. So we kind of, that was just wonderful how you explain that in your book. So when we come back, we have still more to share with you and Patricia and I will uh, love talking about the internet dating experience which I found very frustrating but anyway so come back we'll be here we're going to take a short break now thanks
transformational coach, motivational speaker, and author, Joyce Buford returns after this short break. Would you like to know how to bring more ease to all the decisions you need to make in life? Knowing your core values is the first step in Joyce's free live masterclass. You'll discover your top five core values in as little as 45 minutes. Join her now at freegiftfromjoyce.com. Close your eyes and imagine living your life without limits. Where would you go? Who would you meet? What would you do? During an Uncover Your Hidden Genius session, you will discover what's keeping you from living your life with purpose, passion, and fulfillment of your potential. You'll get a clear vision of the steps you need to take to uncover your hidden genius so that you can live a life without limits. Sessions can be done over the phone, Skype, or in person. Find out more at www.JoyceBufordEmpowers.com or by calling 903-287-0747. Welcome back to this segment of Second Wind. Joyce Buford, the creator of Uncover Your Hidden Genius, continues in this segment to share insight that will help you live a life of greater purpose, fulfillment, and ease. Now here's our host, author and coach, Joyce Buford. We are visiting today with Patricia Lorenz, and she's an international, known, inspirational, and art of living writer and speaker. She's been well published, and her knowledge, she shares her knowledge with us um, in her writings, because her writings are very day-to-day typical life situations where she shared her dating as being a single when she is single, her dating journey. So Patricia, um, you know, when we started out back earlier in our lives and we were dating, of course we were dating face to face um, and talking over the telephone. Now it's kind of changed a bit and it's gotten a little more complex Absolutely. (laughs) And it's different for people of all ages. And even young people are using the Internet now. Internet Mm -hmm. dating is here to stay, I I think. And it's a way to sort out the princes from the frogs and Mm -hmm. in both ways, for men and women. But Mm -hmm. I think there's a a pattern that that we need to know about how to do it. Because I I have so many friends uh, down here in Florida. You know, there's a lot of single women down here. And I Mm -hmm. have friends that get frustrated with the Internet dating. Um, But let me tell you what what I did. I, um, I, I signed up for one site. And uh, I went on, and I, I ha- kept a journal, a little journal that I wrote the notes about these people. And the, the, the great thing about Internet dating is that you don't have to meet them in person until you've really had a chance to talk to them, email them, and get to know them without any personal contact. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what I did was keep a journal, and then I would... Um, email the person. I would get them to give me their email address, and then we could just email back and forth. And mm-hmm. if they if they could write a decent sentence and seemed the least bit interesting, I would want to get to know more about them. Mm-hmm. If not, you know, zip-zap, they were off my list. 
And um, so then the ones that I wanted to get to know more about, I would ask them if I could call them. You know, I'd much rather mm. have, mm-hmm. you know, the, the woman or, you know, whoever is doing this that is listening mm. today. Yeah. If you want to be in charge of, of being safe, you need to be the person who makes the first phone call. So mm-hmm. ask them for their phone number, and if they're willing to give you their number, then you call them. And then if you like what you hear on that first phone call and you really think there's you know, potential that you want to talk again, you can give them your phone number. But if not, what I would do is I would give them the dial-a-prayer number when they ask for <laughs> my phone number. And, you know, that way you don't ever have to talk to them again. And they're, I feel like, well, they're going to get a good prayer and they're going to be, you know, out of my life. So that's, that's a good hint. That's so great. If you give them your phone number, you, you can then talk on the phone. And I would really recommend talking five or six times at least. And, you know, try to get in a, a lot of these questions that I put in the back of the book about questions to ask your, you know, dates. Mm-hmm. Uh, ask them on the telephone a lot of those things, and then um, when you feel really safe and you feel like this is not, you know, a serial killer or somebody who's so crazy that you know you'd have to get out of there quickly, you mm-hmm. can make arrangements to meet in a very public place. You know, we would go to Panera, um, you know, or some restaurant that yeah. you know highly. Uh, open and always make the first date during the day and uh, just go for, you know, a cup of coffee, cup of tea, whatever, and um, visit in person. And a lot of times that first visit in person, you're turned off completely. But mm-hmm. all, many times you're not. Maybe you're going to meet again and again. I mean, and that's what I, I detail in this book. I, because I kept notes on all these guys in my journal, thank goodness I did that. Um, but, it, you know, I was able to remember, because you're not going to remember everybody if you don't keep notes. And, because uh, unlike when you're dating someone, well, many times you're just dating one at a time. And right. Internet dating, you're communicating with two or three probably at a time. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And in fact, one of my questions in that list of things to ask your potential date is when you do finally get to the point after, you know, your emails and after your phone calls and you're now finally meeting in person, one of the questions is to ask them, are you willing to stop looking for somebody else while you're, you know, dating me now if we're going to start dating? Because if they are, if they're going to be dating you and you're dating in person, you're going out to movies and restaurants and what have you, you don't mm-hmm. want them at home every night on their, you know, Match.com or Plenty of Fish or mm-hmm. single meetings yeah. or whatever these places are. You don't want them doing that at night. You want, well, you want this guy thinking about you. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if he's not willing to eliminate those just during the time that you're dating, then I would just get out of there. I, I, I don't think he's ready to commit. And you, I mean, I'm not by commitment, I don't mean, you know, wedding bells. I'm talking about committing to getting to know you. Yes. You know? Right. And if they're, yeah. if they're not willing to uh, sacrifice the, 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 you know, the rest of the, you know, the... Men love to, and women too, we all love to look at all those sites on the, the Internet and look at this, read about this person and that person and, you know, check them out. And, but I think once you've met somebody in person and you're actually agreed to start dating in person, then it's time to forget the Internet dating sites for a while. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I'm looking on page 50 in your book and all these different questions. One of them is, are you in, into porno? Mm-hmm. 
You know, I mean, those are questions that perhaps a woman wants. You might want to do that on the second or third visit. I don't know. Maybe if you're more gutsy, you can spit that out at first. I don't know. But women of 50s, 60s are a little hesitant to come out with some of those questions. But now you need to start thinking you're in charge of you and you need to know whether to stop it right now or move forward with this man in the dating realm. And that's uh, really important that you sort of approach internet dating from the point, from knowing that you're shopping, (laughs) really. Absolutely. And And you're asking for what you want. It's so wonderful for that reason, because Mm -hmm. you can um, meet by maybe just by email or maybe just by phone or maybe in person, but you can meet literally dozens of men. And I like men. I like to talk mm-hmm. to men. I find mm-hmm. men very interesting. And mm-hmm. I I want to, you know, I have a lot of male friends. You know, they're all husbands of my girlfriends or mm-hmm. my neighbors, um, you know, men I know at church. All of them mm-hmm. are off limits. And, uh, you know, I'm off limits because I'm a happily married woman now. But I mm-hmm. still like men. And so when we're doing this Internet dating, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with you know, communicating by email and phone with with a dozen or more at the same time. I'm just saying, mm-hmm. you know, once you start dating and going out to places together and you're really trying to carve out a relationship and see if this is the person you want to spend the rest of your life with, then you need to eliminate the, the Internet dating. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at, at this book, too, and I... Um, Mm-hmm. I, 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 on, on page 122, I have, uh, you know, just real short paragraphs about a whole bunch of different men that I met. Mm-hmm. For instance, here's one. Charlie had a BA degree and worked at Lowe's Hardware Store. Within the first 10 minutes of a 12-minute conversation, I discovered that he was extremely conservative politically and financially. He was a big mm-hmm. golfer, which I am not. I could not find a thing we had in common. So, mm-hmm. that, you know, that's if you just write these things down as they're happening... Mm-hmm. Go back later and say, "Yeah, why am I talking to this Charlie guy? He he doesn't. He and I don't have a thing in common. I don't call." Mm-hmm. Which yeah. I have to I have to backtrack a little bit. For years and years, when I was single for twenty seven years in between my second and third husband, and mm-hmm. you know raising the kids during that time, and I decided then that what I really wanted, even though I'm not Jewish, I I thought I wanted a Jewish pilot who golfed a lot. Because they oh. be gone, be gone a lot, and somebody told me that Jewish men put their women on a pedestal. Yes, <laughs> yes, that was ridiculous. Because you know you want to be yoked the same way spiritually and and, and yeah. religiously. I think sim- at least mm-hmm. similar reasons. But I always told my friends I joked and said that's what I want: a pilot who golfs a lot. You know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So but, yeah. you know you have when you're serious about it and. Honestly, I, Joyce, when I moved to Florida 12 years ago, I I saw so many women down here who were in their, you know, made friends with a lot of women in their 50s, 60s, mm-hmm. 70s, 80s, and I love women of all ages and I I mean we we need our women friends. You know, yes. because like I said before women um we say 20,000 words a day and men say 7,000 <laughs> words a day and we need to get our 20,000 out and the men do not want to hear them. And right. I want to listen to our 20,000 words. Yes. And so you need your women friends. So here I am. I moved to Florida. I have all, meeting all these women friends at the swimming pool and, and you know, at the clubhouse. And 
mm-hmm. walking around the neighborhood, and I get to know them, and we become good friends. And they're telling me, oh, boy, if my husband ever dies, I am definitely not getting married again. <laughs> I'm not going through this again. I'm not going to take care of any old geezer when he's in his 80s or whatever. Well, I believe with all my heart that life is better when you have a partner because mm-hmm. you know i i was in my late 60s when i married for the third time and i have a wonderful guy but the reason that we get along so well and we are so happy is because we live in two condos i kept mm-hmm. my condo when i married him mm-hmm. and i we i live 57 steps from him and that's why the name of the book is <laughs> paradise and uh, there's nothing wrong with that i i sleep at jack's condo with jack in his big king-size bed every single night and i love my husband dearly we get up in the morning we go to water aerobics together we come back to his condo we have breakfast together because all the breakfast food lives at his condo at 11 o'clock in the morning i come the 57 steps down to my condo and I am here all day until 11 o'clock at night. Now, he's back and forth. He'll come and bring me the mail or come and stick his head in and say hi or whatever. But mm-hmm. my husband was put on this earth to watch sports from a recliner. Ah. He loves his sports. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not the least bit interested in sports, but it's, mm-hmm. that's who he is. Right. He loves it. And so I'm not, I can't take that away from a man, you know, of his age. And wow. so he and we always have dinner at my place or we go out or once in a while he'll cook, you know, and I'll go down to his place for dinner. But for the most part, I'm here from 11 in the morning till 11 at night. And then I'm walking my 57 steps. Mm-hmm. The door, and, mm-hmm. and so it's just wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a marriage mm-hmm. made in heaven. And my whole point of writing this book was to sh- convince women that they don't have to do anything the old traditional way if they're thinking about getting married or even having a relationship with a guy in their mm-hmm. 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, or 90s. You can do it mm-hmm. a different way. You can live across town if you want and just get together. Maybe you're only going to sleep together. Maybe you're not going to sleep together. Who? I, mm-hmm. I don't care how people carve out their, their lives, but the point is we have the right to do it the way we want to do it. Yeah, yeah. You know? That's really interesting. And, and I particularly found from the book the freedom of you know it doesn't have to look like you pictured it we're still not trying to create cinderella in our later life you know i think we're all trying to create her in the first marriage (laughs) sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but in our later years we certainly have particularly in this day and time, the freedom of shaping it how we want it, how it works best for us. You know, the thought of a man coming in here and messing up my closet is just more than I could take. You know, really. (laughs) That's exactly what I think, Joyce, because when I I moved here years before Jack and I got married in Florida, and Mm -hmm. I had my own little condo, and when I left my home in Milwaukee, I gave away or sold two-thirds of everything I owned. So everything I brought with me was stuff I loved. Mm -hmm. And I arranged it the way I want it, and I... There's not one inch of space in my condo for anything that belongs to Jack. Right. He is such a sweetheart that he let... Knowing that he really wanted me to sleep in his bed with him at night, that he Mm -hmm. gave me his master closet, so all my clothes live at his place, and all my clothes live at his place. (laughs) So I dress and I shower there, you know, Uh but then I, I come here to my place, and it's like walking into... 
the Shangri-La. <laughs> I just am so happy. I'm surrounded by my stuff that I love, uh-huh. and, you know, I can paint. I, I took up painting a couple years ago, and I just love to come here and spread out my paints. And I, I like be as, as um, happy as a person as I am, and I think I'm one of the happiest people I know. I believe that I really need a lot of alone time, and I need it mm-hmm. quiet. I, I rarely even play music in my condo. I just like to come here and not have to talk to anybody and just be by mm. myself for a while. Mm-hmm. And then I can go out and walk my 57 steps and grab my husband and say, okay, honey, let's go to a movie or let's go out for dinner or let's do this or let's do that. Or, you know, we play cards with our neighbors and, and we have a great social life. But the mm-hmm. bulk of my days is alone in my, my own head, in my own space, where I can write my books and do what I want and develop my own friendships with, you know, with my women friends. And, mm-hmm. and it's just delightful. And I want other women who are always telling me, oh, I'm never going to get married again because I can't mm-hmm. stand taking care of him. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, it's nice because we, we are both getting older, and it's mm-hmm. nice to have somebody who has your back. You know, right. would be there for me in a heartbeat. It, mm-hmm. it helped me. I had both of my knees replaced in May, and boy, you know, I needed <laughs> him to help me in mm-hmm. that time of healing. And mm-hmm. and um, you know, I did the same for him. You know, he had surgery, and so it's it's good. It's good to right. be the person. So I have this little question running around in my head. So are you still doing the wife role of? preparing the meals or in your relationship does it go between the two of you oh that's a very good question (laughs) (laughs) i'm telling you after raising four kids and preparing two meals a day you know they ate lunch the hot lunch program at school but breakfast Mm -hmm. and dinner for four kids for all those years Mm -hmm. i am really sick of cooking and i Mm -hmm. do it i but i eat really healthy nutritional things you know I'll, I'll eat junk food once in a while but i like a lot of salads and easy you know easy things to fix uh, chicken and fish and or jack uh, you know for breakfast he still likes frosted flakes i mean he has a terrible <laughs> diet and he, you know i'm not going to change this man and i'm not right because we have two kitchens he can go to the store and buy all the junk food he wants and if he wants a fried spam sandwich for lunch that's fine with me because i'm not we don't do lunch together we breakfast together and then we eat dinner together and if i can talk him into going out you know he'll go out to eat on a on a whim for any reason but there's right. so many restaurants down here we probably eat out at least two or three times a week and then i always bring half of it home for leftovers and so i oh, yeah. only cook twice a week you know for him for supper and yeah once in a while he makes a really good meatloaf so i'll let him uh, Mm. Well, as long as it's not something that's you know makes me gag mm. because it's so unhealthy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, know, you work it out when you're old. You can work anything out. Mm. He's so happy to be in a relationship with mm-hmm. me as I am happy to be in a relationship with him that, you know, we both give in to each other. And if I'll say to him, you know, honey, I'm going to make a big salad tonight. And he says, well, I think I'm going to have hot dogs and I'll just eat by myself. I'm fine. And, and he doesn't mm-hmm. pout about that at all. He's really a wonderful guy. And if he's willing to just, he's, you know, he's an adult. He, he's mm-hmm. really responsible for his own food, clothing, and shelter needs, just like every other human being. Right. And so am I. Yeah. I don't need to feel like at my age that I have to be catering to a husband and cooking for him, you know, seven days a week, and I don't. 
And, mm-hmm. and we made that really clear up front. And, you know, we always are together pretty much in the evening for a meal. But sometimes he's eating his leftovers and I'm eating mine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, right. works. Yeah, it really does. Giving yourself that freedom. And that's one of the things that you need to really speak about while dating, whether somebody's willing to take that on and realize that you are individuals, but you'd like a, a marriage or a relationship to go on. One of the things I want to really warn women about is that on the internet there is the what we refer to as scammers. There are people that get on even the paid sites and I will share the last time I was on a dating site which was early part of this year. I had that experience and I thought for some reason I was protected because it was a for pay site. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't, and they are really good. You know, they're really good at what they do. So they provide all the pictures. They do all of this. And you just need to be able be be aware that those people are on the Internet. I do not know where they live. It's some other foreign country. But uh, they all look at us as being the richest nation in the world. And so they think they're going to get a bride or they want money in some way. So I just ask my listeners that if you're going with the dating site, which I think is a really good idea, that you be aware that there are people. So you really have to filter through all these different phases. And Patricia has done a beautiful job in her book in sharing the steps as well as the great information today. Where would my listeners get your book? Patricia? Um, I think that probably the easiest and fastest way to get it is just to order, order it online on Amazon.com. Oh. Or, you know, you can go into any bookstore in America and ask them to order it um, if it's not on the shelves. But, um, you know, every, everybody lets their fingers do the walking now, you know. We, we <laughs> online, so that's probably the easiest way. The book is published right. by a, a wonderful little um, publishing company in California called MSI Press. And you can um, go online to there and order it from them. But I think it's probably easier and faster. And, you know, people who have Amazon Prime can get it shipped for free and what have you. So it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's easy to get. If somebody was right, has written a story and they really want to send it to somebody, is there a publisher out there that is more open to beginning writers? Or would you have a... <laughs> funny that you should say that, especially since you, you work for Jack Canfield, but mm-hmm. I think that the easiest and best place to get published is in one of the Chicken Soup for the Soul books. And really? Why. The answer for that is that they publish, I think now they're doing five or six books a year, so it's almost mm-hmm. like a magazine, and they need mm-hmm. 101 stories in each of those books, so they are desperate mm-hmm. for good stories, and it's wow. so easy to get it, you know, to submit. You just go to mm-hmm. chickensoup.com and on the front page, the home page, there are three columns at the bottom. And on the upper, the third column, the top thing says, submit your story. Mm. And you just click on that and it wow. all the directions and, and you can submit your story. And it, it's a great um, way to get published for the first time. And you mm-hmm. get a bio in the back and you, mm-hmm. you can put your email address in there or a way right. for people to contact you if you want people to write to you or whatever. Mm-hmm. But in, they always they pay if you if you get your story accepted they pay two hundred dollars and you get ten copies mm. for free 
And oh. um, I've done that. I've sold um, at least 85 stories to them over the years in six months. Wow. And, it, you know, it's just a great way to get started in your writing career. In fact, mm-hmm. I have to tell you this. My, my cousin Jerry is a Catholic uh, priest. And he's a Monsignor, retired now. And he was down here and stayed in my condo uh, last month. And he, we were over in the pool swimming around. He starts telling me all these stories about his early years as a priest, you know, and I said, Jerry, you need to write some of these things up and, and try to sell them, you know. So w- mm-hmm. wouldn't you know, this week he sends me a great story about the time he met this Jewish couple on a cruise ship and, and the wife died and the, the guy wanted Jerry and his friend to come out to California and do a ceremony after her death. And oh. you know, here two Catholic priests giving a ceremony for this <laughs> Jewish couple. And it was just so sweet. And I wrote it and he sent it to me and of course it needed a lot of, of editing work so I I worked on it with him and, and then uh, he, he made all the changes and now I said you're ready to send this to chicken soup so I hope he does and <laughs> this well that's a great bit of information for my listeners to go send it to chickensoup.com that story that you've written and um, maybe you'll be in one of those books you have written so much, Patricia, and you speak everywhere. And so it's uh, just fascinating to be able to spend some time with you today on the show. Is there something that you haven't done that you want to do? Or what is the next thing you want to do other than going to Japan? <laughs> no, it's not Japan. You've been to Japan. South Pacific for Ash travel. I think a lot more travel for me. I just am fascinated, and I find like writers need to experience life. And the more we do, the more adventures we have. You know, the more we have to write about. And so I want to keep traveling and and writing about that and about meeting people. I'm not a travel writer per se. I don't write about the places Mm. I go to, but it's where you meet interesting people and and learn Mm. interesting things. And you know, I I, uh, always thought I would. want to hike the Appalachian Trail, but I think that maybe that is something I'll pass on now since I'm still healing these two new knees of mine. Those but knees. There's, there's just all, you know, the thing about life is that you never know when an opportunity is going to come up, you know, for you. And mm-hmm. another thing I wanted to say about writing for your, your listeners is that you don't need, my, my, my other favorite quote that I came up with years ago, and I've, I've said this so many times when I teach a writing class, is the best way to get accepted as a writer is to learn how to unzip your soul and expose your foibles. You <laughs> want to be able to share with the reader how you screwed up. Because, mm-hmm. like I said earlier, we don't care about that pe- the people that are le- leading the perfect lives. We right. care about people who have had troubles and struggles, and we need to learn how they fixed their problems so that we can learn. It has to have a takeaway mm-hmm. message. So, you know, I was always using and abusing my children in my writing by exposing mm. their foibles, like the time <laughs> my, little, my son Michael was using bad language on the playground in third grade. And I, I mm-hmm. wrote a story about that, and people said to me, how can you do that to your children? I said, it's easy. I bribe them with money. I told them they could have 10% of everything I made on their story. And I said to Michael, look, honey, your story is going to help a lot of kids 
you know, maybe not right. use language on the mm-hmm. playground or whatever. And mm-hmm. the parents mm-hmm. are going to love to read this story, and they're, you're going to help people. And, and then, you know, I gave him the $75, you know, which was maybe 10% of what I earned on that story. Mm-hmm. And he was happy as a clam. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I my soul, but I unzipped my children's souls. You know? <laughs> I mean, my daughter, Julia, who is visiting me right now, she was once arrested as a college freshman for underage drinking. And she mm-hmm. jumped out of a window. From, at a party from the, base, the basement window, ran around the house into the arms of two cops, and oh, no. you know, had to pay a $145 fine. Well, I wrote this whole story up about her, and it, she was on the cover of Guy Post magazine, and she got letters from prisoners all over America oh, who wanted gosh. to either convert her or marry her. <laughs> <laughs> She's this beautiful blonde, you know, and she got a lot of money because that was—I I think I sold that story for uh, like eighteen hundred dollars. So I wow. sent her one hundred and eighty bucks, and it more than paid for her fine. You, know? <laughs> you, you have to well, be willing to expose your mistakes in life, and that's what people yeah. want to read. Well, Patricia, this has been such a fast hour for me because we both are, as you can tell, connected spirits and know the value of living life to its fullest. So I want to thank you very much for being on the radio show today. It's uh, Touched Lives. Oh, thank you. I can't believe the hour is up either. Goodness gracious. I wish we lived right next to each other. We could have tea across the fence. (laughs) Okay. So until next week, I hope you'll be back and we're listening to more awesome people on their journey of life. Thank you for being with us today. Joyce Buford returns next week at this same time for another edition of Second Wind. Through the Joyce Buford Empowerment System, women are receiving support during their transition and are able to reclaim their true purpose and strength. They receive the tools they need to map out new lives. You can find out more about her coaching services at 